everyone. This is Aksha and we are back on the Mad Hat Economics podcast. I'm really excited to welcome Rafael March, Head of Behavioral Design at Cowie Consulting in the UK. Cowie Consulting is a behavioral science consultancy that applies the latest research in behavioral science, psychology, and nudge theory to help businesses grow and swiftly react to customer needs. Rafi has a background in perceptual psychology and she draws on design, UX, and behavioral science to create innovative behavioral interventions that transform the customer and employee experience for her clients. Welcome, Rafi. I'd also like to welcome back uh, Professor David Just from the Dyson School. So let's start quickly with our first question for Rafi. Could you please share with us how you got into the behavioral space? Yes, absolutely. And, and thank you very much for having me. Um, so I think just to, to cast you back, you know, a good 20 years or so now, I think um, I shared every every little girl's dream of actually becoming a ballerina. And um, I, I pursued that dream and um, I went to a ballet school. And whilst I was there, a lot of my friends actually suffered from eating disorders. And I think originally that's what sparked my interest in behavioral science and psychology um, and understanding those behaviors became really important to me. So I made the decision to leave that school and actually pursue studies in psychology instead. And um, as you mentioned, I studied psychology at university and I specialized in perceptual psychology. So specifically looking at how different visual elements affect your behavior. Um, from there, I um, went to uh, Ogilvy UK, oh, sorry, can't talk. O Ogilvy UK, um, where Daniel Bennett, who I think you spoke to back in March for your podcast, um, is is currently at, and yes, um, Jez Groom, who yes, um, Jez Groom, who who founded um, the behavioural science unit at Ogilvy UK, also set up Carry Consulting, which is the company that I'm currently at, and um, when I first met him at Ogilvy, um, I think he'd identified that being part of a wider um, marketing and advertising agency made it sometimes quite difficult to apply behavioral science in more of a business sense. And um, he asked me to join him when he set up Cowrie as um, a behavioral designer, because one of the other areas that we'd identified is that there was a, a gap in the skill set of behavioral scient scientists whereby you can bring psychology and design together to actually produce um, more in-depth and um, more functional um, behavioral design. So um, I think I've always been really interested in behavior, um, but specifically for me, what interests me is how you can help people by using behavioral science. So, so how does that work in the context of a behavioral consulting firm? I, uh, what what role do you play and how do you get involved in, in these projects? So um, in, in the business sector, what we try to do is bring together a mix of disciplines to help tackle different challenges. And um, our aim is to help companies fix existing products or journeys and help them speak to their customers. Um, we want to educate them on how to use behavioral science in their everyday work. And ultimately, we want to help them build new products from scratch that have a really strong behavioral foundation. So um, as I said, we're a mix of different disciplines. So we're behavioral scientists, economists, and behavioral designers. And as a behavioral designer myself, 
um, I lead a team of other designers that bring together um, the visual elements of psychology and, and the behavioral science to help construct different interventions. Um, the, I think one of the things I really love about my job is that mix of disciplines. Um, and I think it's something that separates us from a lot of the other behavioral science consultancies that are working within the private sector, um, because I think there is a slight gap in, in using design in combination with behavioral science to help start changing behavior. Walk us through, I mean, the, the marketing research firms have been doing, uh, you know, exploring behavior and consumer behavior specifically for a long time. What's What's the difference between, say, a, a marketing research consultancy and more this sort of behavioral um, science consultancy? So without critiquing traditional research too much, because I do believe it has an important place, um, I think that not all research techniques can necessarily be considered equal. And one of the issues facing market research is that conventional methods still assume that customers are making decisions about products or journeys with their system to brain, and they're directing all of their communications to that area. Um, so when they're sending out letters, when they're getting people to fill in forms, when they're asking them to interact with their website or apps, they're speaking to them in a really um, rational way. And um, often the research that comes from um, traditional market research cons consultancies um, doesn't actually identify correct attitudes. Um, and the reason, this is the reason that the attitudes expressed during focus groups don't always match the resulting behavior because customers can't really articulate the drivers that are underlying their behavior because they're not able to tap into that subconscious processing. So um, I think what this often results in is that companies are building products and services on the assumption that their customers are always rational and always act in a way that maximizes their best interest. But as any psychologist or behavioral scientist knows, that's simply not the case. So they're ignoring the importance of the human touch and failing to build products and services that can change customer behavior. And I, I read a quote um, the other week by Dr. Prabhjot Singh and it wasn't in the context of behavioral science, but it really resonated with me. And he'd said that we spend a lot of time designing the bridge, but not enough time thinking about the people who are crossing it. And I think that's so important when uh, considering how to apply behavioral science uh, within business, because often they're building products without thinking how the customer is going to respond to it. Um, emotionally or in just the sense of ease when you're clicking on different things and I think that why should companies spend lots of money fixing something that's broken when you can actually just build something that's truly innovative. I, uh, I don't want to push you too far in this but it, 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 can you give us an example of, of maybe sort of the contrast between this sort of behavioral approach that, uh, that thinks a little bit more about the people on the bridge rather than just building the bridge itself? Certainly so um, I think a lot of the work we do tends to be within the financial sector and um, uh, finance itself is a very complex subject and a lot of the conversations that you have within that space also become incredibly complex and people find it really hard to understand what they're talking about and that's the reason that people don't um, are less likely to invest they're less likely to um, participate in their in their pension schemes um, because often we say to them you know you've got 
300 different types of pension that you can choose from. Which one do you want? Um, and because people are so afraid of making the wrong decision, they just won't make any decision at all. And um, we do a lot of work with the Financial Conduct Authority in the UK um, to make sure that we are talking to people in a way that's actually just fair to them. Um, because often, um, as I'm sure you guys know, when you give people too many options, um, they're overwhelmed and they're not going to make a choice at all. Um, so what's really important to us is that we're using behavioural science for good um, to make sure that people can, or customers can clearly understand um, really complex subjects and making them feel really simple and easy to do, um, making sure that people do actually engage in those behaviours that they otherwise might not do. So I have a question. Um, when you inform your clients about, okay, these are the dramatic changes that you have to change in your approach um, in terms of reaching the customers, do you see that there is pushback from the business so, uh, or from different departments within the business of the client? I think often, um, because people are so fascinated in this area, um, they're, they're very much on board with the response that we give them. And because we're able to back it with so much science, mm -hmm. um, often it just acts as an authority in itself to help push through um, the, the friction that we've identified in their journeys. Right. Um, and we often refer to it as um, com uh, uncommon sense, mm -hmm. um, because it, when you actually point out the flaws that exist in these journeys, they do just make sense. And it seems so simple um, and obvious. And yet, if you don't necessarily look at a journey with a psychological lens, you're less likely to realize um, where the bumps in that journey are. But then once you've seen them, it's in incredibly clear that those are the things that you need to change to actually produce a really fluent customer journey and experience um, in a way that's going to get customers to engage. Right. Are, are there any real-world examples that you could share with us? I, I realize uh, a lot of a lot of interactions you have with clients are going to be uh, somewhat confidential. But are, are there are there some examples you could share with us of uh, of exactly this sort of path, this uh, this building building the bridge, if you will? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I think often our work is incredibly varied, and sometimes you find yourself in the strangest of briefs that if you'd have spoken to your younger self, you'd have said, how on earth did I end up here? Um, but one of my favorite examples is um, when we use behavioral science to eradicate unsafe behaviors in construction. And um, we worked with a company called Overbury to transform the interior of the Shell, um, Shell's London headquarters in, in South Bank. And um, two of the the problems that we'd identified there is that um, the construction workers on site often had to work at height. So they had to climb up ladders and work in the ceilings, or they had to move quite heavy materials from one space to another. And um, being quite um, a male dominated environment um, with lots of young men, there was also lots of testosterone floating around in the air. Um, and one of the things we know about testosterone is that it increases um, risky behaviors. So instead of um, 
when the construction workers had to move a ladder to get from A to B, um, instead of climbing down the ladder and physically moving it, what they would do is actually bunny hop across the floor and um, almost just jump up and down while holding onto the ladder and move Sounds really safe. Um, across the space. <laughs> In incredibly safe. Um, and as I'm sure you can imagine, that would sometimes lead to small accidents. And um, obviously those accidents can have health implications, but what it can also do is drastically impact the number of contracts the construction company then receives. Um, because the more accidents you have on your record, the less likely you are to win another million or billion pound project. So just taking that really small risk not only could endanger you, but it could also snowball into really big consequences for your company. So on the construction site, we, um, we put three main interventions in place, but I'll, I'll take you through my, my favorite ones. Um, the first one is, um, if, if any of you are familiar with Drunk Tank Pink, uh, the book, um, then you'll be familiar with Bacon Miller Pink, which is a specific shade of pink that was often used in drunk tanks to help calm erratic prisoners. Um, and this particular shade of pink helps to reduce your levels of testosterone and makes you feel calm. And when we shared this insight with the construction company, we were practically laughed out the door because we said, we want, we want to combat this billion pound problem by painting your canteen a particular shade of pink. And I won't repeat the language that they used, um, but as I'm sure you can imagine, um, it's, it, it wasn't the, the best response. Um, but the thing is, if you do what you've always done, then you'll end up getting the exact same results. And I think that's what they say is the definition of madness when you do the same thing and expect things to change. Um, so we were fortunate that we had um, someone within the construction company that um, was willing to take a bet on us and, and invest in the science and um, what we did is we used that shade of pink in the canteen, um, as well as um, some other um, design changes within the, the room to create an environment that placed employees in, the, in an emotional state that prompted them to work safely. And we were able to drastically reduce the number of accidents as a result of that. Um, the other intervention that we put into place was a gold card scheme and employees were given a card that was used to show their commitment towards acting safely. Um, and the card also acted as an incentive to behave safely as it was entered into a weekly draw to win a prize um, when you reach the end of the week. And um, the first time that the draw took place, um, one of the employees actually won a widescreen um, TV. So obviously it suddenly became a really exciting thing to make sure that you didn't perform any unsafe behaviors because you would actually lose access to your card and you would have that revoked. So uh, there was quite a powerful sense of loss aversion um, in, in play here. Um, what we also did with these cards was introduce random variable rewards. So each week it wasn't the same prize that you could win. One week it might be a TV, the next might be bacon butties, um, for your, your colleagues up in the canteen, um, but it was a range of different prizes. And um, when, when you keep a prize the same, um, you'll find that after a while, it starts to lose its excitement. Whereas when you um, vary the reward that comes up, people are a lot more motivated and excited to find out what that reward is. And often it's actually the excitement of the reward that's more motivating than the prize itself. Um, so by getting people to commit to 
safe behaviors with the threat of revoking their gold card. Um, what we also did is we said that if you lost your gold card, your team and um, the people around you would lose their opportunity to win that prize as well. So as I'm sure you can imagine, um, when they have that social pressure as well, um, as well as that commitment, as well as that loss aversion, um, what we were able to create was a really strong intervention, whereby when we walked around the construction site and measured the different behaviours they were performing, we saw an incredible drop in unsafe behaviours to the point where um, Overbury has now rolled out these interventions across all of their construction sites. So there's many, many more pink canteens, which were obviously laughed out of the door originally. So, this, so it sounds like they were converted. This, uh, this made a difference for them. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's what we often find is that um, people are slightly dubious at the start, um, but believe that the science can have an impact. And then as soon as you um, put a small um, either pilot test or provide them with the results within their environment, they're incredibly on board and invested in the behavioral science and they, they become so enthusiastic and, and can't wait to learn more. So uh, it, I believe you had some experiences also with uh, with customer care and and uh, and leading uh, leading customer care representatives to to behave perhaps more friendly and and more uh, more empathetic towards uh, towards their customers. Do you have any do you have an example there you could share with us? Yeah, absolutely. So um, as I mentioned, we do a lot of work within the financial sector. And um, we, we work on their, their websites, the, the communications that are sent out to the customers, but also in their contact centers, um, working with their advisors and the experience that they're giving customers over the phone. And as I mentioned before, because the financial sector is incredibly complex, when people call up, um, they're often afraid to sound stupid um, and they don't necessarily um, always ask for help or understand what they're being told. And um, on, on the other side of the phone, you've often got advisors that are trying to follow a script that can be incredibly difficult to follow um, and quite effortful. And they're trying to keep up a conversation with the um, customer on the other end of the phone. And for one particular company that we worked with, um, my task was to optimize and, and redesign a 600 page script that they were giving their advisors. And um, when they were on the phones, they essentially had to click through a PowerPoint and click on all these different buttons um, that corresponded what, with whatever the customer's answers were. And sometimes you could be having hour long calls with customers. And um, as part of this script, if they accidentally clicked the wrong button, um, they weren't able to just go back one step. So what they had to do is go all the way back to the start of their 600 page script try and remember what the customer had said and click through all these buttons again while still trying to maintain a conversation with the customer at the same time. So as I'm Sounds sure- Sounds like a nightmare. <laughs> it, it absolutely is. And um, I think not just a nightmare for the advisor, but also a nightmare for the poor customer that's rung up and is trying to get um, guidance from, from the advisor um, or, or just more information. So- on one hand, you've got the advisor who's having a really tough time, and you've also got the customer who's not having a very positive experience. So um, what we did is not only did we optimize the script using behavioral science, but we also optimized the visual design of the script that the advisors were using. Um, so one of the things we found on the calls, um, 
sometimes customers would have to ring up and say, um, unfortunately, my, my partner has passed away and um, I need to inform you as his pension provider. And it might be, you know, 80 year old Doris that's called up about her husband, um, but she's actually speaking to 16 year old James, who's never experienced loss in his life. And this is his first job um, over the summer to try and save up for, for a lad's holiday. So he finds it incredibly hard to empathize with Doris. Um, so again, you're getting a really complex emotional situation whereby none of the, um, the participants on the call are understanding each other or having a positive experience. So one of the things we did to fix that is on the script that um, the, the advisor was using, we included images of faces that showed different emotional expressions. Um, so if we knew that script was talking about bereavement, it would have a sad face. And what this would do was um, it would activate the mirror neurons in the advisor's brain so that they could experience themselves or simulate the experience um, of loss or feeling sad, which meant that when uh, they would then speak to Doris about the loss of her husband, it would come through with a lot more emotion and understanding than it had previously. Um, so um, it, it meant that the advisor felt much more in control on those really difficult and, and quite taxing calls. And it meant that um, the, the customer as well was having a, a much more positive experience. Um, it, in addition to that, one of the other design things that we implemented that I think is really quite fascinating is because the calls could be so long in their length, um, what we also did is looked at the color of the script and we found that cooler colors, um, specifically a shade of lilac, actually reduces your perceptions of time. So um, as the advisor was clicking through a 600 page script, when they're exposed to this cooling, calming color, it doesn't feel like they're on the phone for as long as they actually are, which again, refuels their energy and um, it equips them to have better conversations where they feel like they're, they're more in control. Um, so I guess in, in summary there, what we're trying to do is not only improve the experience for customers, but also for employees. And we saw um, the scores on both sides go up and the attrition rate as well um, within the contact centers where more people were enjoying their jobs and were less likely to quit. Um, so the staff turnover was reduced as a result of using behavioral science and a behavioral toolkit to um, make the advisors feel much happier within their role. Yeah, I, li I listen to this and I think if only the airline industry would adopt this for their customer service, it would be a wonderful thing. Um, <laughs> so so um, would we need to wrap up. And, and so I was uh, wondering just one last question, you know, it, thinking about uh, those who are right now, you know, uh, starting careers in behavioral science and, and perhaps going in this direction, what are the things that they should be focusing on? What are the pieces that are perhaps underemphasized that, uh, that are really important in this field? So in, in my opinion, for behavioral science to evolve and keep moving forwards, I think it needs to begin to adopt learnings from complementary disciplines. So one such discipline is the field of design, which obviously I, I use within my role. Um, but I think it's all well and good to create a brilliant intervention. But if no one 
reads the the beautiful copy that you've written or um is emotionally invested in the intervention that you've created then you're not ultimately going to change behavior so you need to bring together um uh, design and behavioral science and consider all of the senses when creating an intervention um, because I think if you use an amalgamation of the two we can start to construct better behavioral interventions and more powerful behavior behavior change um, so I would advise um, going forward with behavioral science it, it still fascinates me as much as the first day that I started reading about it but also think about how you can be using visual elements at the same time to give behavioral science the boost that it needs Great. Thank you so much for that. Um, we really, really enjoyed the conversation. Uh, Professor Just, do you have anything to add? No, this is a, just fascinating area and, and uh, very interesting applications that, uh, you know, I guess they're outside of, of the areas that I've applied things and they, they, um, they're sort of exciting in a way that I, I think it'd be fun to get into. All right, thank you so much for joining us, Rafi. Uh, we had a great time. Um, hope you did too. Yes, that, thank you so much for having me. It's been, it's been a lot of fun and I could talk about this stuff all day. 